you know, you can have all the success in the world, but if you don't have meaning and, and you don't, and you don't really feel like you're living congruent with, with some of your gifts and, you know, I'll use the big P word purpose, then you, you never feel like you're enough. And, and, and that feeling was probably what drove me to keep going in the, in the personal development world. Yeah. Okay, hi everybody and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. I am your host as always and I always protect that you protect a little time for myself and my guest. Um, I am pretty excited to talk to my guest today um, because I, there, there's things about Mary that I don't think I understand yet that I think I'll understand better as we talk. Mary Shores, welcome. Hey, great to be here, John. So uh, nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you as well. Uh, it's been fun talking to you already. So Mary is the founder of a multi-million dollar business. She is a single mom, a business owner, and now she is uh, the author of a new self-development book called Conscious Communications. Um, you busy enough? You seem like <laughs> <laughs> you want another project to get involved in? How, how did you decide to get into this space, this whole self-development thing? Oh, that's such a great place to start. I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly how I love to tell it is like this. So it's just this feeling that for many, many years, I'm going to say 10 years, I just felt like I really wanted to write a book. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't not, not do this. And what happened was though, that I was always going around saying, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. Uh huh. And I find that so fascinating because the reality of the situation is that both of those statements are like a mirror to my subconscious programming. And what I mean by that, John, is that the words I want to write a book is like looking in and seeing that written on my soul. And you're a writer, so I know you understand that. But the words, but I'm not a writer, were also a mirror to my subconscious belief system, meaning that somewhere deep inside my mind, some way, somehow, I got the idea that either, I don't know, maybe I thought I had to have a PhD in English to write a book, or, you know, like I had to have connections in the publishing industry, which I so did not have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these were belief systems that as long as I was saying those words, but I'm not a writer, I was never going to write a book. So I had some work to do. And to be able to get to that point of being able to write this book. And it's amazing, like these little phrases that we carry around in our minds can be so potent and we don't even know they're there a lot of the time, right? There's an awful lot we carry of, I'm not, you know, this or I'm not that. I remember a guy I worked with not long ago who wasn't an athlete. He was in his 40s. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, you know, and so this idea that he could go out, put on, he, he put running shoes on my ottoman and he said, I, these are foreign to me. I don't know what to do with these. I'm not an athlete. And so it, we had to change that thinking, those words, in order for him to get out there and move. Um, how powerful are these phrases that we carry around, and why are they so negative? <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening to something this morning, and I, I was writing about this too, but on another show, I, I understood it even more. It's like how we are actually wired towards a more negativity bias, and I think that it goes back into like our caveman days of a way to protect ourselves, but but actually we're more driven by fear than we are positive motivation. Boy, is that the truth, right? I mean, um, and is, is the fear as you see it, is it like a self-protective mechanism? Like your, your um, kind of internal 
monologue of I'm not a writer? Is that protecting you from being disappointed, uh, you know, from not following this dream? What does that do for you? Well, it stops me from doing anything because it builds a wall between like me and the dream that I want. And so, you know, I never took the time to dissect every little, every little like aspect and, and turn it upside down and inside out and look at it and say, what happened to me when I was three years old that now I can't write a book. So my, my little trick for, for doing what you do instead is just to take action anyway. Just take one step in the direction to get yourself outside of that comfort zone, get past that fear a little bit. And my one step was just signing up for a writer's workshop at Omega Institute with the number one New York Times bestselling author, Cheryl Strayed. It was exciting. So that's, that's a big deal, right? So Cheryl Strayed's a really well-known name. She's a big deal. Um, where did you find the courage? Because that's a, I get that that's a step. That's a big step though, right? I'm going to sign up for this writer's workshop and suddenly are you a writer like right away or does it take some time before you can integrate that as something that changed? So I love that you told me that it was a courageous step because I never looked at it that way. And I'll tell you why. You know how sometimes it's like your world or the universe or God or whatever you or whatever you choose to, to say sort of leads you in a direction. So one day I was watching Oprah Soul Sunday and there was a guy on, it was uh, Dr. Brian Weiss, and he was promoting his book. I think it was called Miracles Happen. And I loved the episode so much. And at the very end of the episode, he said, I'm teaching a workshop at Omega Institute. And immediately I go I'd never heard of Omega before. I Googled it. I was like, oh, this place is a retreat center and it has a spa. Like I could totally go there. So I, I went there and took the workshop, had a great time at Omega, but everybody kept talking about family week. They're like, oh, you know, last week was family week. So I thought, what is this family week? So I looked it up and I saw that family week is when you go there and you take your kids and everybody gets to sign up for a workshop. So the kids sign up for their own personal development workshop and the parents have to also sign up. So it wasn't really that I had courage. It was that I wanted to go take my kids to experience this beautiful 500 acre retreat center. So what happened was when I went to sign up for my workshop, there were like six to choose from. One of them was a writer's workshop. So it was like plop, you know, that moment where the universe just delivers. Yeah. But, you know, that was a whole year that I had gone by. So I was already a little familiar right. and I had to pick a workshop. So it was either that or like, you know, drumming circle or yoga. So I picked the one that was going to get me that one step. Got it. So it was really just a baby step. Got it. So, so to you, it felt like a baby step and I completely get that. How does, how does it develop from there? You know what I mean? Like, so how do you get to the point where, you know, you, you actually decide really invest in writing a book and, and, and how do you land on the subject matter that you did? Well, I mean, it was full of so many twists and turns and, you know, it's kind of that, have you ever heard, what is it when, uh, when your opportunity meets hard work, there's a saying, I can't remember what it is right now, but really when, I've put in the elbow grease. I've been doing the work and the, the, you know, I went to that workshop the following year. I went to another one. It just sort of became a thing. And then I went to 
the Hay House Writers Workshop and had an opportunity with Hay House. It just all worked out. So that whole, you know, that was three years, but then it was another three years to make the book happen. Right. So, you know, this is a six year process of small pivots along the way. And, you know, just, just constantly feeding myself with all, like, I'm a total workshop junkie, John. I was this girl that, you know, Tony Robbins, date with destiny, walk through fire, jump off a telephone pole. Like everything's going to transform my life this week. Right. And right. it never worked. I would get through the end of the week and I'm like, why are all these other people transformed? And I'm not. And it was always this letdown. And now when I go to these workshops, it's with a different, it's with a different purpose. It's to enjoy myself and to learn, but I don't have this expectation hangover anymore of thinking that I'm going to change my life because what I really learned through my, oh my gosh, like 15 years of doing that was that the, the transformation is happens in the smallest moments and pivots of your life. And when I look back, I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I'm certainly not the same person I was 10 years ago. So there's been an arc to it. So uh, collectively, you you see change. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You, when I think about your story, and, and I know bits and pieces of it, um, I think I could create this argument, but you can you can disagree with me that you didn't need a whole lot of change. You you are this very successful person um, financially and um, and manage single motherhood with grace and you know you you there's an awful lot you do and it works out pretty well. Did you need this in your life? Was there something like missing? Wow, that's such a, an amazing question. I actually just need to take a couple seconds to ponder it. You know, you can have all the success in the world, but if you don't have meaning and, and you don't and you don't really feel like you're living congruent with with some of your gifts and, you know, I'll use the big P word purpose, then you you never feel like you're enough. And and, and that feeling was probably what drove me to keep going in the in the personal development world. Yeah. You seem like a very tenacious person. You've got this, you've got a big personality. Um, you seem to know yourself really, really well. Is that what you think is required to kind of have this kind of success, you know, like, um, or do you, do you think, do you think like sometimes it's just luck or, you know, what do you think the ingredients are to get where you are? Wow. I love talking about that. So one of the things that I've recently been really wanting to develop more and more is this idea about purpose, because especially in the millennial generation, you know, it's all about your purpose. How are you making an impact? You know, we want to be, we want to be aligning ourselves with humanity plus companies way more than we're aligning ourselves with humanity minus companies. But man, you know, I'm in my forties. That's a lot of pressure, (laughs) right? (laughs) because <laughs> we didn't that was not what our goals were at 22 we were we were way different back then right you know so but here's the thing like so maybe we start we go down we go down the you know we buy the house we have the marriage we get the cars we have the mortgage we have all the debt we start a business or we have a career and in somewhere we turn around and we look back and we're like what is going on with my life it's so empty yeah but but and everyone's now talking about purpose And here's the thing. It doesn't have to be so hard to figure out your purpose. And what happened with me, because I'm in an industry that 
traditionally is not congruent with, with some of my own like inner morals, values, spiritual beliefs, whatever you have it. And that's that I'm in the collection business. And I went through this existential crisis where I was like, you know, I want to take this spiritual path in life and I, I really want it. I actually wrote this list called my magic eight, which is eight things I want to manifest in this lifetime. And if I get these eight things, I'll die a happy woman. One of them was enlightenment. That's a pretty big goal. <laughs> big one, man. Hey, but that may as well be one of your eight for sure. Oh, yeah. Why not? Self-actualization, the whole Maslow's hierarchy. That's but one was also write a book. Right. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I thought, how am I going to reach actualization if I'm a debt collector? Because how is that congruent with who I am? And what I realized was that it's not about that. It's, it's more about this, that when you discover what your natural talents, skills, and abilities are, and you figure out how to bring that to your career, bring that to your job, bring that to your business, that is so powerful that you can literally change the world. And so now that sounds like a really big deal. Like, how did she do that? But truly, we all have a factor of greatness inside of us. And you can discover it as simple as taking a personality test. I'm uh, sure you've done one. I have. And I, and I, <laughs> and I love that conceptually. And I kind of, I, I love the idea that you don't have to change every element of your life to live your purpose. You can bring your purpose into the life you're living, right? So you're right. You're in this field that I think maybe stereotypically has this kind of, um, what, drabness to it or there's contentiousness maybe. And, um, and, and There's we, a lot of shame, you know, shame, punitive, consequential. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with any of that right from the beginning. So if I discover what my gifts are, it's like ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. So very <laughs> inspirational, you know, teacher, speaker, writer, and, and a leader. It's like, well, I know how to take that to my business and to my industry and creating a method, be, creating a method to help people feel good about paying their debt. Right. Because having a debt automatically is a psychological burden. You talk about undue anxiety. No That's kidding. the kind of burden that does not allow people. It's, it's that brick wall. It's that reason. When I said I'm not a writer and I told you there's some, something in my subconscious belief, well, when people have a debt, they're not going to apply for that mortgage. They're not going to go for the job. They're not even going to date the same person because inside there's a foundation of unworthiness. And I just went on this mission that I had to change that. Wow, that is that is um, kind of breathtakingly profound. Um, so, as as the debt collector, how if I can ask, how how do you change that for somebody? Because you're right, um, anybody who's been in debt, I've worked with I've worked with so many people who have come to me in large part because of that, and um, and that does seem to drive their whole sense of self worth. Um, and to be able to have any impact on that, especially sitting in the chair you're sitting in, that's got to, first of all, it's got to be incredibly gratifying, but how do you thread that needle? Is it, is it difficult or is it easy? I mean, is it, does it come uh, just organically to you? Well, wow. 
you you are really good at interviewing. So it, <laughs> it came very organically to me, and I'll tell you why in here in just a second. But the trick for me to do it was with the power of words, going right back to the beginning of show of the show, and it's all about the words because the words you say are either creating a connection or driving a disconnection in every thin slice moment of life. Everything you do, everything you say, every choice you make is either connecting you or disconnecting you. And so that's my personal philosophy about, that's like the basic foundation of this book. But if I apply that, so it goes again, what are my gifts? That is my foundation of my entire existence. How do I apply that to the collection agency? Well, I understand that words are going to trigger people through their nervous system, and they're either going to trigger that fight or flight fear response or it's going to trigger the parasympathetic rest and digest response. I can say words that are going to make people feel good, or I'm going to say words that are going to make people defensive, irritable, and argument argumentative. Got it. Um, and and right. And and the difference is is so um, profound and important. Um, I'm curious how you landed on this idea of the words that we use, you know, um, as I, when I first kind of read about you and your bio, I was thinking about kind of the internal monologues and that, that we kind of carry about ourselves, you know, the, I'm not good enough stuff. Uh, but I think you're also talking literally about the words we say to one another. And I, I noticed like just the, uh, I, to, to watch and to hear you speak, you speak with precision. You're not messing around. I mean, there's not much frivolous that you say. I assume that's deliberate. I think it's just part of who I am. Mm. And maybe I'm very practiced in this because this book, the things I teach in this book and the things that I teach in my workshops have been my way of life for such a long time. And, you know, I actually... I discovered it through more so the tragedies that have happened in my life. So um, I had a child that passed away when I was 19 years old. I was actually on my own since the time I was 16. And my mother had gotten remarried to someone. I really wasn't part of that equation. So I had to leave the house at a super young age and become independent. And from there, I had a child. She was profoundly brain damaged. And I mean, to the point where she was blind, she was deaf, she could not suck, she had no swallow reflex. So we had to have a gastronomy tube inter, uh, inserted into her tummy. And at 19 years old, I was living in and out of children's hospitals, no money, sleeping on the emergency room floor. And I was mad, crazy, obsessed with learning about the brain because of her injury. Got it. And Mary, so how, off, how, that must have been, I, I can hardly stand the story it must, it's, uh, for at 19, the child yeah, 19. was brutal. Mm -hmm. It, it was, it was, do you talk about growing up overnight and you, you know, you're having a baby and she was, she was so perfect when she was born and she had uh, right at birth, she lost oxygen for five minutes. Mm. And so it's just like my entire world was ripped away from me. And, um, but I would go to the library and I would study about the brain. Well, she passed. And, um, years later I got my shit together in life and started the business, got married. And I had my, my second child who's a son and he's, uh, his name's Keegan. He's now 17. Well, he got diagnosed on the autism spectrum 
So that put me right back into that. So the reason I know so much about the nervous system is number one, I spent a lot of years studying about the brain. But then when my son got this diagnosis, I was not the type of person that was going to, I did not care. There was no information out there to tell me what to do. There's no rule book to understand autism. So I just, I started to understand his, it's a, it's a disorder of the nervous system. It's a stimulation thing. Right. But I started to realize that everybody is overstimulated and I'm not going to say everybody's on the spectrum, but we live in this world that is so crazy noisy and it's supposed to be more convenient, but it's more overwhelming than ever. And you find people flying off the handle. I'm guilty of this myself. You know, you call customer service or you call a business and you expect service. That's why it's called customer service. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but this 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 overstimulation is affecting us in every area of our life. And what's very unique about my book, and there's no other book out there like this, but we're going to talk about the chemicals that are flowing through your body. We're going to talk about how things are stimulating your nervous system that are that are keeping you in like perpetually a bad mood. So yeah. I'll say that. We're we're going to talk about like how do you loosen the grip from the stories of your past? And I'm certainly, you know, I shared with you just one tragic story from my past, but like, how do I loosen the grip from that story and not turn myself into a victim because that happened to me? It's, it's, um, it's so much to ask of yourself, isn't it? Because um, your narrative could be so very different, right? I mean, to lose a child when you're so young um, and then to have your second child diagnosed with what a lot of people would say is, oh, such a tragedy, you know, um, it, it's, you, you, you could say, why me? You could, you could spend the rest of your life playing victim to that. I don't hear victim in your voice remotely. Um, that's, is, that, is that just a choice that you make, you know, every day? Or do you not feel victimized? Well, it's so interesting. What what's coming up for me as you say that is is number one. There there was a lot of time that I spent feeling like a victim, especially especially with my son Keegan. It's like you know going through a divorce, uh, feeling left alone as a single mom, having so much responsibility. There there you know when you say like you didn't need to make change. Oh, I needed so much to make change, and I, and I know you're a writer. I don't know sometimes you say, I write about the things I need to most learn myself. And I was in quite a desperate situation. So even though, you know, and I think in the entrepreneurial world, we never talk about what our hardships are because you always have to have this image that everything is great. Right. When the truth is entrepreneurs are under a ton of stress. And, you know, that, that was certainly true in my life. And I, I wasn't feeling, I didn't want to accept my son's diagnosis. And my son is brilliant, by the way. I mean, he's one of these kids that, you know, can calculate numbers in his head and, and he taught himself how to program. I mean, he's, he's a wonderful joy, but the way that I have to learn to deal with him is not the way you deal with any other child. It just, right. it, it's almost like he's a Vulcan. Like, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, like I, <laughs> But, you know, it takes it's one thing to like just recover from a tragedy, but it's another thing altogether to learn how and figure out the steps to rebound and thrive. And that's what became my North Star. Got it. Got it. And um, and, and there's a reason, I assume, 
and I'm thinking about Keegan for some reason, you know, um, it, that, that you focus on words, right? You know, like, um, and that, that you recognize the connection between the words, the stimuli, um, the nervous system, um, and, and how important these connections are. Is it partly that you see it in him? Is, is, has he been instructive to you? You know, like you said, like, I, I, as, soon as, as soon as my children had these brain issues, I went to work. I went to study what was going on. I wanted to know everything I could. What did you learn that was universal? You know, I think it was it was more that I was learning things and I would have these little light bulb moments. And one of the first light bulb moments I had was uh, one day I looked at the telephone and I said, I want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call. And that was the moment. I think that was in 2005. That was the moment when I transformed my entire business. And that transformation happened before transforming my life. And so, I, I mean, my business revenue went up 33% in one year. My employee wow. retention rate went, went through the roof. And everybody was just happier because I, I figured this out. And it, that's probably the part where it's like, I can't tell you why I knew what I knew. It was just inside me. What do you make of, um, so every once in a while I do some consulting with like organizations and, and I find that like, you know, if there is somebody in a leadership position who, um, who has a negative mindset or is kind of a toxin to the organization, that that just kind of can infect, you know, so many elements of it. Um, and yet I find that so resistant to change. Um, do you find, did you find that shift in you? Now, I'm not saying you were super negative or toxic, but, you know, you made some shift that shifted like revenue. I mean, literally had an impact on your bottom line and the people you retained, right? This was the, so this isn't just esoteric, like feel good, self-helpy stuff. This is like this can change your, you know, the, the, the numbers on the balance sheet. That's right. Well, and so and not only was it changing my business, but it was changing everyone's lives who learned this. So it, it had such a broader implication. And um, in, in, the, in the far as like using it in leadership, it's it's really helped me to become very aware of how my leadership style could trigger someone's fight or flight. So, for example, and my brother used to work with me years and years ago, and he would say, Mary, he goes, have you ever noticed you react at a level 10 when the situation's really like a level two? Ooh. And I'm like, I was, I was probably in my young thirties when he told me this. And I thought I really was fascinated by that statement and to have him show me that, well, here's what, so let me just put you in the mind of like your stereotypical entrepreneurial leader type a right. Right. DI dominant influencer. And you get say served lawsuit papers, you're cool, calm and collected but the printer breaks and you lose your shit. Right, you know what I right, mean? right, absolutely. Yep. So, so why is that? It's because when the lawsuit happens, when the when the tragedy happens in business that I know what are the steps in order to solve that problem, I'm okay. But the printer breaks and I freak out because what am I going to do? Yeah, I don't know how to fix that, right? I know how to fix the big things. I don't know how to fix this. So he and he even said that. He goes, 
But when something happens that should be a level 10, he's like, you're at a level two. And so that really gave me that little conversation we had gave me a lot to explore. And so when I'm talking to like, for example, I talk to IT managers and I'm talking to them and I'm like, listen, do you have a lot of business owners calling you up, freaking out all the time over really insignificant stuff? And they're like, every day, every day. (laughs) And I said, let me explain to you why they're doing this, because they don't know how to fix it. Right. And so what you're hearing with that freak out moment is they are in full blown panic, fight or flight. And here's what you can say to them to get them out of fight or flight. You will cut down on the time you spend on your trouble tickets and you will have happier customers at the end of the day. Well, do you see how I just took something that applies in the debt collection business and I translated it to IT because like. How frustrating is it to talk to an IT person? Right, right. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be that way. I also did the same thing in like healthcare, you know, training medical staff to talk to patients, whether it's about their bill, whether it's in the emergency room, you know, whether it's over their insurance company, there's always a better way to create connections and stop driving the disconnections. I got to say, Mary, it, it sounds so, to hear you describe this, it, it sounds so elemental that I feel like, boy, we should all know this, right? We should all know this by now. This should be intuitive. I wonder why why we don't naturally just communicate this way. You know what I mean? Why there is this kind of like conflict in different businesses um, within families, you know, like... Um, you know, are you surprised at the way we communicate or do you feel like, no, no, it makes sense to me, but we just, we're just not consciously aware enough to attend to the power of the words. Well, we're all, we're all a product of just a few things in life, which is, you know, obviously our genetics, but we, we learn our behaviors and our patterns by our subconscious programming that was really developed mostly in childhood. I'm talking about things like, what was your home environment like? Um, what was your cultural cultural environment like? You know, what kind of school did you live in? What kind of neighborhood did you live in? Because the way that you perceive, you know, humans are meaning-making machines. And we're also libraries that store everything that's ever happened to us or everything that we've ever seen. And so as we're growing up, we're, we're building these neural networks. And I actually saw a 3D model of neural networks inside the brain. It mm-hmm. was fascinating. And the more they're learning about it, the, le- the more they're learning that we actually don't know anything. <laughs> and um, so inside of our minds are these the, these neural connections and these synapses that connect all the dots and they, they build a pattern over time. And so the reason why this is not intuitive is because the way I see the world isn't the same way you see the world. Right. But I can build new neural networks. You know, we know that now. And the, but the thing is. I've created a method to teach people how to create new neural networks by using the, the, the words, how you, how you attach to your stories from your past is a big, big part of it. So, you know, what, what your belief systems are and how you can begin over time to carve out new networks, because just like a road or a highway, when you start using, you, you stop using the old road, it starts to crumble and fall away. And that's why you can't have a transformation in a weekend. Right, right, right. 
Do you find, um, you know, uh, being a therapist, I find that when, when I try to get people to do that, um, create that new neural network, that new way of thinking of looking at themselves or their place in the world, that there's this kind of inherent resistance to that change. Like, you know, like I'm used to this, even if it's a rut, even if it's not working for me, it's familiar. And so I'm going to stick with it. Do you find, do you, do you run into that kind of resistance? I do, which is why I am very good at starting conversations that are not the point. So, you know what I mean by that? It's like, Okay, so if point A is the problem, whatever uh, you guys are talking about in your therapy session, I'll start talking about point number three. And A and three, the person doesn't, you know, put together the same way. Right. So, like, here's an example. Um, if somebody has a perception that they're overweight, and they're clearly not overweight, but this belief that they're overweight is causing issues in their life. Yeah. Then I might have a conversation that's like, oh, you know, tell me about something big you accomplished this week. We're not talking about weight. They don't even know what I'm trying to like. My assistant calls this. Uh, she says, Mary, you you brain jujitsu people. <laughs> that sounds about right, because you're not yeah. you're not. It's like uh, that's not what we're talking about, Mary. And you're like, well, no, we're talking about this now. So then, you know, like I've got an assignment in the book and it's called your hundred things list where it's, you write a hundred things that you like about yourself. And this was actually an exercise that was given to me by a relationship coach. And I really appreciated doing the, doing the work. And it took me a, a literally about a month, um, to write this list of a hundred things, because when you first start doing it, it's going to be like superficial things, right? you know, like, Oh, I like my long hair. I like my long legs. I like that I'm smart, you know, I like all these things, mm -hmm. but you, you get about 50% through till you start, you got to go deep yeah. and you got to dig to find these things that you like about yourself. But every time they dig deep, they're building a new connection to something that they can feel good about themselves. That isn't about the weight. Oh. And so like a circuit, you know, trip, trick the circuit. It's a, it's a biohack or whatever to go around that issue and build and build a stronger network, build a, build a highway to other things we can like about them, about ourselves. Right, right, right. So if, if, um, if, if I were to ask you to leave our listeners with, with a piece of advice, you know, that would give them a feel, and I don't know if this is a fair question, give them a feel for, you know, um, what conscious communication is all about. Um, do you have that? Would it be that exercise right there, you know, come up with a list of things you really like about yourself? It would be to understand that everything you do, everything you say, every action you make, every choice you make, every action you take is either creating a deeper connection or driving a different, driving a disconnection in your life. And that there are simple ways. It's like if we all have these infinite possibilities available to us in life. It's the things that we're going to do that are going to connect us to the highest potential or complete failure. Yeah. And the book can really teach you easy, easy ways just to connect to those good things that you want and loosen your grip on the chaos and confusion of life. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, fundamentally, before we finish up here, is there anything we're missing that you want people to know before we, before we sign off? I don't think you're missing anything. Well, <laughs> you're I, completely on point. Um, listen, <laughs> I, I I've been doing this a while, and it, you are amazing to talk to, Mary. You 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 have this um, view of the way we communicate and the impact that has on our lives 
that, you know, I feel, you know how you feel like, um, I think I've pretty much exposed myself to all the new ideas out there because <laughs> um, I've been to enough workshops and I've read enough self-help books. This feels fresh and new and you feel like the right person to deliver this message. So I'm, so I'm really thrilled to have talked to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It's such a joy to be here. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to read I want people to know what your what your book is called Conscious Communications your step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind your choices and your life. Um, Mary if I want to buy the book if I want to learn more about you if I want to follow your blog um, and figure out where you're speaking so I can make sure I'm there what do I do? The easiest way to find me is on social media. So on in every social media, you can find me under the names Mary Shores, M-A-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E-S. The book's available on Amazon. On Facebook, I run a, a group called Fearless Ambition. It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of people join the group. We do coaching exercises in there. We've got a lot of people who are reading the book as well as there's constant freebies going away that we give away. We've also got our website, maryshores.com. You can find us on Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, folks, start following away because Mary Shores is a name I I think you're going to hear more of. Um, Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, John. All right. Um, Thank you guys for listening. This is the Undo Anxiety Podcast. You can find us, as always, on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and WGN+. Plus. If you have any thoughts about the, uh, the podcast, guests I should have on here, or um, maybe topics we ought to cover, write me a quick email at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com. In the meantime, on behalf of Mary Shores and myself, uh, thank you for your time, and have a great day. Talk to you next time.